Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. We'll read these couple of verses, and then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. So we'll start at chapter 16, and we're going to uh, move to Matthew chapter 18. But first, Matthew 16, verse number 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I read that verse along with verse number 18, because uh, verse number 18, you remember we started with looking at the church, and what was it that, that <coughs> Jesus promised would not fail? Is it just believers? Is uh, those uh, uh, his, his uh, saints? No, he's, he's, he's talking about what he is starting there, which is his church, and he's identified it as a, a specific assembly that's gathered, and it's his assembly. It's, uh, he gives the marching orders. He's given the rules for it. He's, he's given the power. He's given his presence. The, the Spirit of God is going to be empowering his church uh, from that time, and then the day of Pentecost uh, officially, and, uh, and so on. But he, he says in verse number 19, he talks about the authority of that church. He's giving uh, unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, what does that mean? Well, we might see a little bit more of this in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 15. This is the second uh, uh, mention of the church. The first was in Matthew chapter 16, the, the second time that the church is actually mentioned, used, the word church. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. <clears throat> Moreover, if thy brother shall <clears throat> trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, and here's where he involves the church, he says, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gives the same phraseology here, the same wording when he's dealing with the church in uh, uh, speaking of the authority of that institution that he's given uh, life to, that he's promised perpetuity to. So let's stop here, ask the Lord's blessings as we get into his word here tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd help me to make it clear, help some things to, to be clear with this passage of scripture that deals with the church, Lord, that would help us to know how to deal with each other and our relationship to the local church and, and what we're a part of here. So Lord, I pray that you'd uh, be with us, give us of your spirit, uh, understanding. The Lord is a closed book unless you give uh, illumination to that to our hearts and an application to our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that. We ask that you would do that and that you would teach us and instruct us here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> when Jesus promised an ever-living presentation of the gospel to the world, when he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will 
build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What was it that he was talking about? Well, we've, we've stated and we've seen that he's talking about the church, of course, his church, the church that he gave authority, authority here on earth to. And, and in both of these passages, scriptures, he's dealing with that authority, that place that the church should hold here on earth. We mentioned that the church is not merely when believers are gathered together. We looked at those scriptures in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that's true. That's what Jesus uh, stated there. But that's not a definition of the church. That just says that Jesus is there, that his presence is with two or three that are gathered in his name doing his work. Jesus was bringing out the point of the power of unity and agreement in that passage of Scripture. We also said that the first time that something is mentioned in the Bible, it's a red-letter occurrence and should be noted. It's called uh, the, the uh, case of first mention. Uh, it's precisely this first mention of the high court of the kingdom of God in Matthew 18 that we can learn a few things. Let's take a look at that, that Scripture again, and then we'll, we'll look at what, what the Lord says here about the church. In Matthew 18, we just read those scriptures. Look at it one more time. <clears throat> Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now, that's not good enough. And if he shall ne neglect to hear them, then you bring it to the entire church. Tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him become, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. And then we go on. So let's take a look at what, what we can learn when Jesus is, is telling us here about when offenses take place, what do you do with them, and our relationship to the church. Number one, offenses are to be contained as much as possible. They are to, to be contained if we can. Verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault, uh, him his fault between thee and him alone. In other words, that's as far, the circle ends with two people. It's one person that has offended somebody else. You don't go tell your friend. You don't go tell somebody else, get them in there. You don't gossip about it. You don't say, you know what he did? Or would you, you know, and this is how we, we couch it. Would you pray about this situation because so-and-so offended me? Well, no, no, actually, you know, leave that as an unspoken request, okay? But, uh, you know, uh, but it says, listen, this is, you got business to do with a person that, as it says there, um, if your brother trespasses against you. You're the offended one. Your brother trespasses against you. Go to him and deal with it, but keep it contained as much as possible. Just you and him alone. That's it. So you note the progression. It's small to wide. It goes from contained wider and wider and wider, but no more than necessary. Because he starts off with saying just you and him alone. And if you can't get that taken care of, well, then involve someone else where you get some reason. You get some, some uh, others that, that can help kind of determine and, and be uh, uh, not a liaison. What is that when you're uh, we're on a what? Mediator. Mediator. Yeah, there you go. 
that's a good word. It wasn't what I was looking for, but yeah, where where you can you can you can have that where somebody else is there and they're they're <clears throat> helping the dispute two or three uh, people together, and so it's contained just with you and that person, and if he's going to be you know uh, bullheaded about it and not going to be you know, ad admitting or accepting or whatever, making things, making amends. You go to two or three others, and you keep it to just that two or three others. You know what? If you, if you figure it right there, and among the friends, they all say, now, wait a minute, Joe. He's right. You know, he's right. You know, you might be off here because, I mean, anybody can see that. And if Joe says, yeah, 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 you're right. Okay. I guess, yeah. And you know what? If it stays there, there's there's admitting, there's forgiveness, there's amendments made good keep it right there you don't bring it to the church you don't bring it you don't go public with it you just keep it as contained as is humanly possible okay um, jumping the gun in offense is a surefire way to create a greater offense when there's an offense and then you go from hey somebody's uh, you know, done me wrong to go bring it to the church. Put it in the bulletin, put it as a, a prayer request, sister so-and-so offended sister so-and-so, you know. What is that going to do? That's, that's improper. You, you got to take the steps, as Jesus said, to, okay, start small and keep it as contained as possible. We should not take offense for others, but that's what we do. Somebody we love or somebody that we care for Somebody's offended them, and you know what? They get over it, but I have an offense against that other person because I feel bad for them, and I've, you know, all of a sudden, I'm taking someone else's offense. So don't do that either, but nonetheless. But what we have to understand also is this about these offenses. This is a command. The Lord's not suggesting things here. He's instructing us what to do with offense. If thy brother shall offend, shall trespass against you, what do you do? You go and you, you tell him. You communicate with him. That's what you're supposed to do. You were offended. You've got to act. It's when one buries offenses that had never been cared for in the biblical way that we get problems. I mean, I know Jesus says that I'm supposed to go to that person that has offended me, but, you know, I don't need to do that. What, you're bigger than that? You're bigger than what Jesus said that we, we should be doing? No. He says, listen, if you've been offended, it's your job, believer, to go to that person and to talk to them about that, saying, listen, you might not have realized what you've done or whatever, but I was offended. I mean, that hurt me or whatever, and, and you, you lay out the case. You don't be cruel about it or whatever, but... It's our job. Listen, this is a command. It's when, when you do not do what Jesus said to do, you get problems. And you kind of bury things and think, yeah, it's all over with. And it's not all over with. No, that hurt is there. <clears throat> You've got to deal with that hurt. You've got to deal with that problem. You've got to deal with that because, folks, I want to say this. I've seen this time and time and time again. In this church, in this church, where somebody got offended, somebody, you know, whatever, and it's not dealt with, not dealt with properly, 
and then it, it continues to grow, it t continues to fester, and, t and, and you know what? The person that has offended really has no clue and cannot help because they don't really know because it wasn't dealt with. Jesus said, no, no, this is what you do. If thy brother offends against you, you go to him and you get it out on the open. Bring it out in the light and deal with it. Offenses must be dealt with. Forgiveness is required. It's not, a, it's, it's not an option here to forgive somebody if they're... No, no, you've got to come to this and, well, I have a hard time with it. You know what? Then you've got a hard time and you're, you're not going to advance in your Christian walk and your maturity, your growth, anything, until you deal with these things as the Lord requires. And, but for, forgiveness is required. But offenses must be dealt with. If you don't, then bitterness crops up and greater problems arise. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. This is interesting how that Jesus puts it here, kind of puts it on the other foot. Therefore, if thou, thou bring thy gift to the altar, okay, you're going to be doing business with God. You're sacrificing for the Lord. You're, you're doing something with the Lord where the Lord is, is uh, spoken to you in your heart and you're responding to, to God. It's your worship, okay? This is talking about between you and God. If you bring your gift, gift to the altar and there, even right there, rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Now, it's on the other foot. You've offended somebody else and you know about it. And you're not going to get it right. You're not going to deal with it. But you know that you've offended somebody and that has never been dealt with, has never been addressed. You know what the instruction is here? Stop what you're doing. You got to get this thing done, taken care of horizontally before you can have this relationship with the Lord vertically. You got to stop. That's what he says. If you're bringing your gift to the altar and there remembers that thou, thy brother hath ought against thee, so either way, folks, if you are offended by somebody else or uh, you've offended somebody else, either way, comes in or out, if there's an offense, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Goes either way, folks. Whether someone offended you, Matthew chapter 18, or you have offended your brother and you know it. Matthew chapter 5. Sometimes you might have offended somebody and not known it. Every husband here that deals with their wife, sometime along the way, he's offended her, and he'll try to find out and say, oh, honey, is there something wrong? No. You know there's something wrong. Ladies, that's not good. Okay, that's not good to just, you know, what, swallow it, you know, and not, you know, well, I'm bigger than that. I'm not going to. No. You know why? Because it doesn't go away, folks. It doesn't go away. You got to deal with it. So either way, if there are loose ends with people, you've got to fix things if you can. Yeah, but preacher, I don't hold anything against him. I don't hold anything against her for doing that. Okay, I was hurt, and, all this, and, and yes, they offended me, or I might have offended them. But it's okay though, because uh, you know, it's it, I'm not holding anything. Folks, we got to put the divine formula to work. You can't say, well, you know what? I know that's what God says, but I've got a better way to deal with it. You don't have a better way to deal with it. This is the Lord. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. Okay, preacher, what if I, 
what if I tried to get them to own up to the problem or the situation? They've offended me, and they won't. And they, they won't acknowledge that what they've done is wrong or that it hurt me. Then what do I do? Well, then you're off the hook. According to Romans chapter 12, verse number 18, this is how God works. If it, is, uh, if it be possible, Paul says, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know why it says, if it be possible? Because sometimes it's impossible. Sometimes people are going to hold an offense, or they're not going to get right, or they, they, they've done something wrong, and they're not going to own up to it. Well, then what? You go to your, your grave with this thing against? No, 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 no. You get it right before God. You do your part. Let God deal with the rest. I mean, it's, and then it's on them. Then it's up to them what they do with it from that point on. It's because it will not always be possible to deal with somebody and, and come to conclusion because they won't admit or they won't you know, acknowledge or whatever. Just you. Just do your part. You'll be right with God. You can't make others. See, that's the thing with parents. Oh, man, that's one thing I've learned as a parent and now grandparent. You can't make anybody else do anything. You can make it easy. You can, you can help things along, but you can't make anybody do. Although it might be the, the greatest um, cry of your heart for your child or for your spouse or for someone else that you love, you can't change anyone. You can't make them do anything. You can pray for them, and, but, and you can do your part to not get in the way, so they, they are dealing with the Lord. You know, the worst thing in the world is, is when there's a believer that's in the way for somebody getting saved or somebody, you know, you're hypocritical. You're, you're not living the way you ought to, and it makes an unbeliever stumble, and they're saying, well, yeah, if that's a Christian, and if all Christians are like that, and then they don't look to the Lord, what, and they die and go to hell. Oh, yeah, good job, you know, good job. No, no, let's, let's be right as far as we are, as far as we're concerned. You be right with God. You can't make anybody acknowledge or be right or, or you know, ask forgiveness or anything, but you, we can do our part. But it's when we take things into our own hands that we get things all messed up. When God says, if you've been offended and you don't do this, oh, man. You think it's gone. It ain't gone. You think, you think that you're over that. You're not over that. And one of the ways to determine whether you're not over something, an offense, that when you think about that offense, your blood pressure rises. You clench your teeth. You bow up your back. You, you, you feel... Uh, you know, like you do when, you, when you're offended. Again, all over again. Hey, that means that there's an offense there that you, you've got, you think it's gone, you think it's covered up, and it's, it's under the, you buried it, right? This is what the Bible says, Hebrews 12, 13. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it, let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And then he says something about this. First, he says, make it easy for you to follow the Lord. I mean, make things simple. Don't make it hard. Don't, don't allow obstacles to be in there, uh, hindrances uh, to trip you up. Make it easy for you to follow the Lord. And then he says, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness 
springing up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. All of a sudden, this bitterness just comes out of nowhere. You know, and it's there. And you, you say, where did that come from? Yeah, it's something that you buried, that you didn't take care of it properly, and all of a sudden, you're dealing with it in a bad... It's, it's a root. You know what a root is? Something that goes, it grows under the ground? Here's the tree. You see the tree? You see the fruit? You see the leaves? All of that's manifest. That's what you can see. It's, you know, the root is underneath the ground. Nobody sees that. You have no clue what the root is, you know, until you dig it up, you know. These trees on this, on this property, there's hemlocks, which are those tall trees that are those pine kind of evergreens, and the top of them are, are uh, like bent over like that. They're called hemlocks. And then there's cedars. Cedar trees kind of go up like a straight, you know, arrow. And, and, uh, and a cedar tree, I remember when, when we were clearing this place and the, the guys with the backhoes or whatever, they were, they were coming up to the hemlocks and they were threatening the hemlocks that they would just fall. <laughs> I mean, here comes this big old, you know, tractor and the, the hemlock would even fall before it got there. And it was like, wow, that was, and, and they, they had a, 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 a ball of roots that were probably, I don't know, you know, twice the size of this pulpit, you know, flat, straight, round thing, and then boom, and, and, and go over. And it was like, wow, that, their root system wasn't, wasn't that extensive. Then they get to the cedars. Oh, my goodness. They would push on them things, and they would dig around it, and they would push on it and, then, and dig more and try to get down. And, and they couldn't get those things. You know why? Because there was a root system in a cedar tree around here that is unbelievable. I mean, man, they'll, they'll, they'll you know, because it really goes down far, you know, and it, man, there's got a root system that, and you know what? That's bitterness. You got something that's under, you can't see it. You don't know it's there. But it, it, it's there, and, there's, and it, and it uh, uh, grows into, a, into a, a framework underneath that, you know, it's kind of like uh, blackberries. Blackberries are eternal. You can't get rid of blackberries. You really can't. You pull them up, and you think, yeah, I did that. Messed up my hands and everything else. Got that bush out of here. And then <clears throat> next spring, you see blackberries coming up all. What's going on here? There's roots underneath that go everywhere. Blackberries, 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 you know, and like, can't get rid of them because of the root system. See, we think that we deal with some, some offenses and some hurts and whatever. No, 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 no. You just covered it up. And you know what happens is you, you deal with bitterness then. A bitterness that you're, you're, comes out of nowhere. You, you, you say, what? Where did that happen? What in the world? And it's there and it's underneath the surface. Nobody sees it. And then all of a sudden, it springs up, and, and, it, and it troubles you. And that's what it says. And, and many are defiled. Oh, man, the, the, the damage that, that uh, unresolved offense does. Bitterness grows underneath the sur surface in roots which are not in sight. All of a sudden, you have the fruit of bitterness springing up all over your yard. Where in the world did that come from? Well, you, if you don't cultivate your yard, then you're going to make it difficult to walk with God. That's why it says, make straight paths for your feet. Don't make it hard for you. Get a, take care of this. Allow God to remove these things from your heart. Make it easy. Straight paths for your feet. But the way that you do that when there is offense is you deal with it. You don't just cover it up. And getting back to the point, offenses should be dealt with in as narrow a, a, a circle as possible. 
only between you and God, if it's just between you and God. And that's it. You confess it, and then you get it right, and that's it. And you go on. If you can take care of that, just confess it to God, go on. But if, if it's between you and somebody else that you've offended, or that has offended you, well, then you have to involve him or involve her in that, because there's something that you have to deal with that, that, that deals with the response of another. And then if, if it's maybe uh, among a group of people that you've offended, maybe your family, you've done something that your family, everybody's seen that, and you know what? Everybody knows, everybody sees, and nobody talks about it. It's like the crazy ant in the, in the attic. Everybody knows she's there, but nobody wants to talk about it, you know? Well, yeah, but uh, it's there, and you got to deal with that. you you gotta, you got to uh, uh, come to those where, you, where you, you, you get it taken care of. If it's between others, and everyone should be included in the confession and the restoration in that process. And then if it's public, then it sometimes has to be addressed publicly. Let me, let me uh, give an illustration here. Years ago, there was a, a preacher that was helping, that was here, and he was helping with uh, teaching classes and different things. He was divorced and remarried, and he's no longer a pastor, pastor but he could be used for... You know, he knew the word of God and different things. And so uh, before he ever came, I, I said, brother, this is, the, this is our position. This is my position here about a divorced pastor, which is the same for a deacon or, or a pastor. Um, there's passages in the Bible like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilance over of good behavior and going on and on. But he's to be the husband of one wife. Verse number 12 of that passage, he says, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children, their house as well. So it gives some instruction. And also in, in Titus, Titus 1.6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, goes on. He's talking about a preacher in that case. And so, and that's what we, that's my position. That's what we see the, the Bible teaching very clearly. Not one wife at a time, but one wife is talking about divorce, the, 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 the negative uh, uh, result or, or fruit of, of a divorce and that's what they're saying hey no he's got to have a, a, a good testimony to be able to reach others in the congregation he's got to have that kind of so anyway so I, I made it very clear this is what I teach here so and I, I know you know your background but uh, you just got, have to understand this is what we, we teach here and he understood that and so uh, it was I don't know two or three years later he was teaching in a class, a public uh, class here in the adults, and um, I, after even giving him instructions on all that, and he said, fine, I understand that kind of thing, and I'll never uh, do that, but then he, he uh, taught contrary to that in class. I mean, very clearly against those teachings, you know, talking about, well, you know, some people think that, you know, uh, divorce is the unpardonable sin. Well, no, we don't think that either. But the Bible is clear when it talks about the deacons or the pastors. And when it, nonetheless, um, and uh, he, he taught that publicly when I was out of town or someplace. And so I got back and somebody says, Pastor, you might want to listen to that Sunday school lesson. So I said, well, sure, what's wrong? And so I did. And sure enough, it was, a, it was a public, public challenge where he says, this is what some people teach, you know, and I don't think that because of this and that. You know, and uh, so I dealt with him and I said, you know what? If we have a difference of opinion, that's one thing. You know, I'd be glad to talk to you privately about that, and we'll look at the scripture and whatever, you know. And, um, but that's not what happened. You dealt with this publicly, so I have to deal with this publicly. It's very uncomfortable. 
the next Sunday morning, I started a series on divorced pastors. What does the Bible say about divorce in the ministry for pastors and deacons? And went through the scriptures, and they, that was uncomfortable. You know that? But it don't matter. You know why? It had to be dealt publicly because it was public. If it's, if it's something that's private, well then, you know, hey, I remember, I remember starting that series and I said this. A few Sunday school classes ago, a public challenge went out to the position that a pastor or deacon cannot biblically fill their position in the church if they have been divorced. That's the position of this preacher in Wooden Valley Baptist Church because we believe that it's based upon a biblical position. The challenge was stated that taking such a position intimates that divorce is an unpardonable sin and that taking such a position knocks folks out of serving God. The truth is that there's only one unpardonable sin, and it's not divorce. According to Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, a person can be forgiven of any transgression, crime outside of blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, which is interpreted like this. And so, and it began the, the, the series of what does the Bible teach about that? But like I say, the reason that that had to be dealt with is because it was a public thing. And see, that's what Jesus spoke about when he talks about, okay, if there's an offense, if it's between two people, you keep it right there. And then it, it can increase only till uh, as it needs to. The reason why I dealt with that thing publicly was because it was a ch public challenge. I would have been fine to deal with the issue in private, and that's the New Testament pattern of dealing with sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. Here Paul says, it is reported commonly, in other words, Everybody knows about this in the neighborhood. It is reported commonly, there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, I don't know the situation. Could have been a stepfather or nonetheless. But nonetheless, here's, here's wickedness, incest that's going on in the church, in people that are called themselves members. He says, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Going down to verse number four, he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, it's a public thing. It's a public thing that had to be addressed publicly. You want to know why? He says, because there's people out there in the community don't even go to this church. They've heard about this. It's public. It must be dealt with publicly. So it says, when you're gathered together, this is what you got to do. In verse number seven, he says, purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you're unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he says, you've got to deal with this publicly. When the sin is private, it should be dealt with privately. When the circle widens, it must be dealt with as far as the circle goes. So anyway, uh, number one on this passage in Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus said, okay, you've offended somebody, you go to that brother and you, you get it right. If that doesn't work, two or three others, that doesn't work, then go to the church. So, number one, offenses are to be as contained as possible. Number two, judgments are to be determined. We are supposed to judge on things. We are supposed, you can't leave them out. You can't just be noncommittal on, on things. You cannot, as the church of God, be indifferent when it comes to commands of the scripture. Folks, if that's what the Bible says, whether you like it or whether I like it or don't like it, we go that way. And uh, let me tell you what, there are some things that I don't like doing. I don't like having to be something or do something. or I, so I'd rather not know sometimes what's going on so I don't have to deal with it. But if I know about it and I, and I know what the scripture says and we've got to deal with it, you got to deal with it. So when we can't be indifferent 
Church discipline is in the Bible. You've got to act when and where the Bible commands us to. Now listen to this. Uh, church discipline is one of those things where now it's, it's becoming very, very, very rare for churches to even uh, venture out and, and do what the Bible says that we're supposed to be doing, but it's only because the people are not paying attention to the instructions, not because God didn't make it clear. 1 Corinthians 6.1, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Listen, folks, as the church of God, we have judgments are to be determined. We have to make a decision and, and fall on the biblical side and with God on, on matters, that, that issues that come up. We can't just say we're not going to judge on it. No, we have to. Uh, so number three. The highest line of defense or authority in what Jesus said, you know, you sin, you know, there's, there's an offense, you go to that brother, more, two or three, more, widens, 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 and you go to the church, and if the church doesn't hear you, well, then you take it up with the denominational headquarters, of course. Isn't that what Jesus said? No. The highest line of defense or authority is the church. Folks, this is so important. We would, we would answer many, many questions that are out there if we would just stick with the biblical authority of what the Bible says. The Bible, when Jesus identified things and says, okay, you got a problem in the church or with people, what, what's, what's the, the, the method? What do you do? What's the Supreme Court of God here on earth, on his kingdom on earth, when it comes to matters between people, the Supreme Court on earth, the highest line of defense or authority is the church. And that's what he says when he give the keys to the kingdom uh, to the church, whatever they uh, bind, whatever they loose. Note that Jesus prescribes action to the highest court here on earth, and that's the church. It went from one to two to three to the church, and then it stopped right there. Didn't go on any further. The church is the supreme court when it comes to spiritual matters and issues pertaining to God to people here on earth and God's people. Not only are denominations, courts, and cardinals, popes, bishops, synods, ruling bodies, extra-biblical, they're unscriptural. They're not in here. You don't find them in here. When you, when you go to the, the, to the highest line of defense or authority, it's the church. It stops right there. It's, it's, it's unscriptural. One church does not have the power over other churches in the New Testament. Now, the churches are able to work together and get out the gospel or whatever, but there is no church that has an authority over another church. It's Christ as the head of the church. There's also an under-shepherd, that's myself. There's uh, pastors and deacons of that church, but that's it. They, there's not one church over many churches. <clears throat> While effective business models can be effective in many ways, they're not biblical. Sure, you can maybe have a franchise of you know, Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or whatever. And, you know, I, 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 um, I dread even mentioning Chick-fil-A because it's so spiritual. But nonetheless, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that out there, business models, hey, fine, for whatever. It's not biblical. It is not biblical. 
you will not find, you cannot find a hierarchy in movements that exceed the authority of the church. I've seen churches even close to here that call it the cathedral model. Here's this large church in this area that has much power, and there's other small churches that are satellites that come out of there. Fine, for a business model, it's not in here. You're not going to see that in the Word of God. Sorry, it, it's, it's, it's not there. I've seen franchise models, CEO models of so-called churches, but they're not biblical. Uh, I had some loved ones that were involved in this big church organization uh, in Chicago where there's this one church and there was many of these satellite churches and they're all getting the message from the one church and they're all reporting back and their offerings are going through that church and whatever. And uh, they were asking me, hey, Rich, what do you think about this, this problem here? And, this problem? and I kind of looked at it and I said, it's not even a New Testament church. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. Churches do not, nor do they ever unite with the state, for instance, to gain power or I should say abuse power, because that's what's happened from the first century. Folks, that's why we have the Catholic Church, and that's why we have uh, the, the state churches of nations, of countries, of, of uh, places, the state church. When, when that began to, to take hold here in the states, when the pilgrims came over, and then in the New England states, they had uh, those that were of the Church of England, and those that were of this church and that church, and, and they were starting to do that, and you had Baptists. Baptists that had biblical, they had New Testament pattern that they were uh, following that was, no, the, the church and the state are not married. They're not together, have nothing to do. No, Jesus made that clear. No, the, the state does whatever it does, and he's separate. His people, his kingdom is separate from that. Always has, and it cannot be better if it had the, the finances or the might or the power of the state. No. And matter of fact, you had... Um, uh, Jefferson and, uh, oh, uh, that's not who, who I'm thinking of, uh, framer of the Constitution, they looked at the Baptists of New England and they said, this is, this is something that's, that's unique and it's the separation, folks, separation of church and state. It doesn't mean that the state can silence the church. No, it means the state has no power over the church and the church cannot join with the state. And, and that's biblical. Thank the Lord for that. That's, we, got a, we got a country that's patterned after that. But anyway, churches do not, nor do they ever unite with the state to gain power. Um, it is totally unbiblical for the church of Jesus to unite with the power of the state. Early on in the first century, when some churches grew in clout and authority over other churches, and then pastors or bishops or a, a hierarchy began to develop, it was not scriptural. It was not biblical. Genuine New Testament churches separated from, and they contrasted from identifying with those types of churches. If you know your church history, New Testament history, that's why that they began to be called Anabaptists or Rebaptizers because they were saying, no, church is not like that. It doesn't have this hierarchy thing going on and power and have the state or have, you know, uh, have uh, this ruler or governor or whatever, you know, along, you know, in the power of that church and and giving all the instructions to the other. They said, no. So somebody would come over from that kind of a uh, monstrosity into New Testament churches, and they'd say, nope, that's not biblical. That's not what Jesus started. What he had was separate from the state. And they would not receive them on their baptism from churches like that, 
And so they called them rebaptizers. Oh, yeah, you guys, you don't play along. You're a rebaptist, Anabaptist. Yeah, exactly. You know why? Because they said, they looked at the scripture and they said, you know what? It's not the pattern, a New Testament pattern or the pattern that Jesus gave us. And so genuine New Testament churches separated from, they contrasted from those identifying. That's why we were called Anabaptists or rebaptizers. They did not acknowledge the authority, the legitimacy of those errant bodies. And yeah, I understand that each church being an authority under Scripture may be cause for alarm when some see it as it's unbridled or uncontrolled. Uh, you don't understand. The churches are in Jesus' hand. That's what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when he's dealing with his churches. He says, I have them in my hand. He's the one that, that uh, goes around among the churches. He's the one that disciplines his churches. When they're his churches, he takes care of those very well. Thank you very much. The Lord does take care of his church. Now, other groups that whatever they want to do, they can do whatever they want to do. And they're not under the disciplining authority of the Lord, but his churches are. New Testament churches are. Uh, we got to remember that Jesus is the ruler of his church. He's the head, the authority, the sovereign, and he disciplines his church, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Okay, so uh, another thing that we uh, will learn from this passage of Scripture, when Jesus says, okay, you got a problem with someone else, you go to that person first, and then if that's a two or three, and uh, widens, widens, and it goes to the church, and if the church doesn't accept, the, you know, if he doesn't accept the will of the church, the determination of the church, then he's out. There's, there's no higher authority to go to. Last point, nobody, no denomination, no civil authority oversteps the church. That's what is, is taught and, and we learn in this passage of scripture and throughout the New Testament. There is no civil authority that oversteps the church. You think this is what Jesus was referring to when he said in Matthew 18, 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's saying the buck stops there. So what's the underneath jurisdiction of the church? Or what's underneath the jurisdiction of the church? Well, everything that's got to do with, with his people, with his word, it's underneath the church. The scriptures, for instance, 1 Timothy 3.15, I mentioned this the other week. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So he's talking about the church, the church that Jesus started, the church that he gave perpetuity to. And he says, hey, that's going to have life until I come back. The church that was, was given with power in his presence, that church, he says, the church of the living God, the pillar, it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. This is the truth, folks. Where are you going to find the, church, the, the truth? In the church. Matter of fact, throughout all uh, New Testament ages, from those first centuries and on, They've recognized this Bible, the Bible that you have in your, in your lap. It's called the received text. It's the textus receptus. You know why? It recognized the Bible. It promoted the Bible. It copied the Bible. It, it transported it everywhere. It, it, it said, this is the word of God. Not Bible societies, not scholars, not this and that. You know? And there's 5,000 plus manuscripts uh, that have to do with the... the, the uh, this Bible is based on the textus receptus or the received text. The nearest to that is two or three errant manuscripts back in 1890. So 
that came out with Westcott and Hort, the, and they're they're errant. They're, 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 anybody could see. You could see the the problems, the gaps, the the left out verses or passages or whatever changed places. You can see that uh, in those those places. You know why? Because those are Bible scholars. Those are the, you know high you know. Uh, Offices of higher learning, and these quote scholars came and said they recognized. Oh, there's the word of God. No, where's the truth? The truth. It's in the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's the church. You're going to find it in the church. So the scriptures are underneath the jurisdiction of the church. Membership transfers are underneath the the jurisdiction of the church. Denominations, schools, movements. They don't start churches. They don't baptize. They don't vote or determine what's right and wrong. There is no legislative branch of God's kingdom here on earth, folks, because he's the, the legislator. He determines. Uh, he calls the shots. He articulates right and wrong. The church just carries out the legislative, the, the word of God. You know, when it comes to personal growth or service or maturity or health, listen, you need the church. God knows you need the church, and he's placed us in the church to, to have that. We cannot do this thing apart from the church that Jesus equipped to service God's people here on earth. So you learn a lot from this little passage of scripture that says, okay, when you got an offense, this is how you deal with it. And then you, you learn a lot of uh, other uh, things also. The church is that which uh, is what, what God set up for his people to grow and to learn and to serve and to and to shine through his church. Every head bowed. Nobody look for just a moment. <laughs>